Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name, what it says on my birth certificate, and what I speak when called, Sam Dingman. I'm simply Alan Smith. And we're about to join you in getting stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans, and welcome to your usual brief respite in an otherwise crazy week. We apologize for the somatastic tone in our voices. <laughs> but uh, you know what? It, it, it's been a day, in the words of Alan Smith. Uh, excuse me, in the words of simply Alan Smith. <laughs> It's been one of those days. It's been one of those days. Now, here's a thing, Baltimoreans. Here is a thing that, I, uh, that we would like you to keep in mind. Uh, right now, we are recording on August 22nd of 2013. That's Thursday, August 22nd. Which is the same day that the last episode of our show was released. And the reason that we're doing that is that on our normal recording night next week, and in fact, all of next week, I... Sam complicated Sam Dingman. <laughs> uh, that makes it sound like I'm being self-aggrandizing. Uh, I, normal, unremarkable person Sam Dingman, uh, will be in Austin, Texas at a thing called the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival performing with sometime Baltimoreans guest Ben Mastin in the Audience of Two show as well as in the Risk show, if any of you are into the storytelling. And... As a result of that, we will be unable to record. You will uh, notice that often when I'm on the road, we manage to record. That's because Sam understands how the computers work. <laughs> but when he goes away, our ability to record remotely uh, disappears. So that's why we're recording a little bit outside of our usual schedule. Um, so this week, we will be uh, assuming that we are running a week behind and trying to do a little prognosticating. Indeed. What we thought we would do, folks is we would make predictions right now, tonight, on the show, about what the state of the Orioles season will be one week from today. I'll go ahead and get started, shall I? Oh, please. I'm going to go ahead and predict that we will still be a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, <laughs> and that you will still be able to find this podcast at bmorons.com. I, I, I feel very confident um, agreeing with your prediction, Alan. I feel We're starting less... broad. We're starting broad. <laughs> okay, yes, yes. Uh, there, we will still follow the Julian calendar next week. Uh, there will still be 16 ounces in one pound. <laughs> uh, and we can almost certainly guarantee that coming up later in the show, we have a very exciting guest. Indeed, we do. Uh, a quick tale, uh, dear listeners... Last night, while watching the Orioles' victory over the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I saw, as perhaps many of you have seen, a, a comforting sight. A gentleman who, who sits behind the Orioles' home dugout in almost every game that I watch on Masson uh, with, with, a, with a pleasant demeanor, um, a, a very smart tie, a collared shirt, a backwards Orioles cap, and... Whether it is a day game or a night game, <laughs> a pair of downtown shades. And I tweeted into the void, uh, dear sir, uh, who sits behind the Orioles' first base dugout 
in your shades and your tie. You seem cool, and the Baltimoreans would like to hang out with you. <laughs> because the internet is an amazing invention. Mere minutes later, I was informed by the good fellows at Bird's Eye View Baltimore, one of our sister wife podcasts on the Baltimore Sports Report <laughs> Network, that not only uh, was this gentleman a real person uh, and not a, a comforting vision conjured by my mind in these dark days in which we live, not only was he a real person, but he has a Twitter handle, at O's Sunglass Guy. All right. So, tweeted right at him, tried to uh, get his attention uh, and see if he wanted to come on the show tonight. And because he is a capital individual, as befits someone <laughs> with his stylistic instincts, he's going to be on the show tonight. I, I will tell you this, Alan Smith. I don't even know his real name. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We may or may not find that out later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it would fit my, my kind of fantastical vision of him if uh, we don't find out. But uh, we were glad to have him on uh, episode 64, mm. the prognostication episode. Yes. Um, and the number 64, of course, starts us off with all sorts of obvious things. Um, there's the Beatles presciently telling us exactly how many years we should sign Manny Machado for with their song, When I'm 64. <laughs> There's the $64,000 question, which uh, this year turns out to be, no, really, who exactly are we going to put in the DH slot for the Orioles? <laughs> and it's almost obvious to point out the number 64 is also the number of positions in the Kama Sutra and the <laughs> number of demons in the Dictionnaire Infernal. Ooh. This, of course, the latter being a book first published in 1818 that delineated the exploits of Astaroth, Barbatos, Maman, Jan Gantichan, among many other demons. Um, truly chilling stuff, but less horrifying Baltimoreans if such a thing were even possible than the final 64 of this week's program. Because I speak, of course, of James Franco. <laughs> I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> Who won a best ask? Uh, excuse me, a best actor Oscar for his betrayal of 64-year-old cannoneer Aaron Ralston in the adaptation 127 Hours. Franco, who was an actor, writer, perpetual student, Tolkien buff, Salon's Salon.com's sexiest man living in 2009, host of the 83rd Academy Awards, occasional stand-in for the Blue Angels pilots, and so far survivor of the Syrian conflict. Not that he's been to Syria recently, but he is technically still alive. Uh, and he's clearly, from this list, already extremely well decorated. But what is truly chilling and what brings him to the forefront today is his new hour-long, once-a-week show to be hosted on Ovation, which is apparently an actual thing. James Franco Presents will be a one-hour meander through the art world focused both on art that Franco does and art that Franco likes. Now, while he's launching this program, once a week, just what James Franco's looking at right now, he is simultaneously rebooting what may be my favorite book of all time, William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury, as a feature film. Now, Sam, <laughs> we on this show often use big words. We speak of sport in the abstract. Sure. We don't always speak in the perfect Balmer accent, as our good friends at Bird's Eye View can attest. But isn't it nice to know 
that for all the pretension of us sitting here putting our thoughts about the Orioles out into a uncaring universe, that there is someone infinitely more pretentious than both of us. <laughs> that there is literally no way, no matter how many times we reference George Orwell or rewrite Lewis Carroll poems to be about sabermetrics, that we can ever get to one tiny iota of the amazing sense of self-worth and self-importance and personal significance that is James Franco. So as we sit here, <laughs> recording on August 22nd, I feel comfortable telling you with renewed confidence in my position as infinitely less pretentious than James Franco that today marks the 528th anniversary of the Battle of Bosworth Field and thus the death of Richard III and the end of the House of the Plantagenet. Now is the winter of our discontent, Sam. Made glorious summer by the son of York. And all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried, now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for moments, our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, and our dreadful marches to delightful measures. I don't know about you, but I take solace in those words, knowing that now, even in the winter of our discontent, having made up zero ground on the Red Sox despite them losing six of their last ten, we may have our brows bound with victorious wreaths if only we could take three of the A's and three from the Red Sox in the next week. It just, it just makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it makes me do more than think. <laughs> it makes me want to rip up an applause. <laughs> Here's a little peek behind the curtain into uh, independent radio land, ladies and gentlemen. Before I clicked the red record button... <laughs> on the computer that uh, Alan likes to think I know how to use. <laughs> he said to me the following words. Um, the intro this week is a real doozy. <laughs> I, I think people will either love it or hate it. And I said, I'm not buying into this, <laughs> this artificial lowering of expectations, Alan. I have come to feel like your introductions are, in fact, the very bread and butter <laughs> upon which our podcast draws its nutrients. And I feel even more affirmed than that, <laughs> having just listened to that marvelous riff. I have, I have two thoughts. Yeah. My first thought is uh, you described James Franco's new program as a one-hour meandering through stuff he's interested in. Right. My question is, uh, why did you let him steal our playbook? <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's it, he also teaches a class uh, called James Franco. Is that you're making that up? Nope. That's at, at Yale, I think, or maybe at NYU. Those poor, stupid, <laughs> rich children. He, 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 he takes a class called James Franco. Can you can you imagine? Class, excuse me. Can you imagine being the parent of a child <laughs> who has gained admission to Yale, being sold the bill of goods that this is. This is somehow something that qualifies you to be president of the United States, <laughs> Alan. Shelling out a cool $60,000 a year. To take a class taught by James Franco called <laughs> James Franco, presumably on the topic of James Franco. No, almost certainly. <laughs> that seems to be most of his over. <laughs> by, that, by that standard, you and I could teach a class at Yale about Baltimoreans called sure. Baltimoreans. Well, I mean, it does put this little vanity project we call a podcast into a certain perspective. It does. It does. I, I think, I've, and I think that the accurate uh, 
characterization of that perspective is um, Oscar worthy. <laughs> That seems pretty clear to me. I think so. Yeah. All right, Alan. Well, as, as we told the listeners, uh, what we're going to do on the show today, since since I will be out of commission right. next week, right, um, is we're going to take stock of where the Orioles sit currently. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give you some facts and figures to kind of seed your, your already fertile mind uh, so that you feel comfortable making accurate predictions. Okay. And then we are, I'm going to ask you some questions about where things will stand next week this time next week this time next week so when you dear listener are hearing this podcast the following things will have come true yes we we promise 100 percent accuracy <laughs> or your money back alan smith today is august 22nd 2013 the orioles record 68 wins 58 losses mm. they stand at third place in the american league east Five and a half games behind the Boston Red Sox for the division title. Four and a half games behind Tampa Bay for the first wild card position, also known as the real wild card. Mm. And three games behind Oakland for the second wild card slot. In the loss column, four games behind Boston, three games behind Oakland. Chris Davis mm. has hit 46 home runs. Uh, the Houston Astros elimination number is four, <laughs> meaning that any combination of uh, Houston losses and uh, Texas Ranger victories totaling four eliminates them from postseason contention. All right. Baseball prospectus. Time for them to make a run. <laughs> Baseball prospectus uh, suggests that our current postseason probability mm. is 16.2%. Ooh, that is low. For your reference, on this date last year, it was 10%. Okay. Okay. And in the next week, we play three games against Oakland and three games against Boston. Right. So, Alan Smith, I would ask you the following questions. Mm. Question number one, what will our record be one week from today? Question two, how many games off the pace for the division and wild card will we be? Question three, how many home runs will Chris Davis have hit? Question number four, will Houston still have a mathematical shot at the playoffs? <laughs> and question number five, will Jim Johnson be A, the closer for the Baltimore Orioles, B, the heir apparent to TJ McFarland, <laughs> i.e. the mop-up guy, or C, teaching economics at Hillsborough Community <laughs> College in Tampa, Florida? Uh, okay. So question one, what will our record be? We will have 72 wins. Okay. Which okay. means that we're going to take two out of three from Oakland and two out of three from Boston. I like it. Now, here's the logic. The Orioles, every year, uh, put together in late August and early September some sort of semblance of winning baseball. It's been a buck classic. Mm -hmm. Even in the year that he came in when they were diagnosably bad, they had a good late August and early September. Indeed. At some point, Matt Wieters is going to have to come out of this season-long slump. Yes. And it looks like he's starting to do that. He's starting Indeed. to hit some home runs, starting to play better baseball. I think that the collective um, body of stiffs that <laughs> is our starting rotation mm -hmm. can f 
you know, they've been up and down, but I think that we're due for an upswing at some point here. Okay. And either Feldman or Hamill coming back or uh, Gonzalez, someone's going to start putting together some, some, some wins to back up Chris Tillman. Okay. All of which says that I don't think we're going to make the playoffs this year. But I think we will oh make my. a run now mm-hmm. to appearing to be relevant. Okay. I think the run's going to happen now. Relighting my candle of hope, only to have it be brutally snuffed out oh by the New York gosh. Yankees <laughs> in a couple of weeks. I Wow, I, I don't like your answer <laughs> to this question at all. Okay, well, so just just so that we make sure we have accurate record keeping, you're saying that we're going to go four and two, four and two over these so next six games, seventy two and six, seventy two and sixty, seventy two and sixty, a mm. modest twelve games over five hundred. Right. Okay. Question two is how many games off the pace for the division and wild card will we be? We will be one game off the pace for the wild card, and we will be uh, three games off the pace for the division. One game off the pace for the wild card and three games off the pace for the division. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how many home runs will Chris Davis have on the season? On the season? Yes. 62. Si- <laughs> just to just to clarify, <laughs> you're saying that he is going to hit 16 home runs uh-huh. in the next six games. Oh, you said the end of the season. Oh, no, I'm sorry. One week from today. Oh, oh okay, okay. Uh, uh, 44. <laughs> 49. So three over the next six. One against Oakland, two against... He loves hitting against Boston. He does. He just... He, he lo- especially in Boston. Some some uh, co-hosts of this podcast who won't be named suggested we trade him to Boston <laughs> last offseason. <laughs> Yeesh! <laughs> Hide! Uh, so you're uh. saying three over the next six games, leaving him at 49. Yeah. That'd be a bit of a hike to 62. <laughs> in that pace. It's all right. But I was thinking when I was writing these... Uh, Really brilliant questions that uh-huh, I came up with uh-huh. here. Uh, I was thinking that, uh, you know, last season he hit a home run in uh, each of the last seven games of the season. Right. Perhaps he'll go on a similar run this year. Yep. Will Houston still have a mathematical shot at the playoffs one week from tonight? Technically, yes. Technically, yes. Yeah. Actually, no, I think that Houston's going to lose the next six games and <laughs> go out with a whimper and okay. a bang. That, that's the correct answer. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> um, okay. Will Jim Jim John, Will Jim Jensen uh, be a the closer, b the long man, or c teaching economics at Hillsborough Community College in Tampa, Florida? I think he's going to be the long man. Think he's going to be the long man? Yeah, I do. I think that Tommy Hunter's going to take the role of closer and run with it for a while, making mm-hmm. it very hard for Buckshaw Walter not to go to him in those situations. I think that Jim Johnson has always had a starter's repertoire of pitches and not necessarily dominating stuff which makes him really good for three to four innings if you can put him out there. I mean, he, he, he has that ability, and he has the stuff to keep people guessing and keep people off balance. And I think that at least a week from now, that's where he should be. I don't know where that's if that's where he'll be when we get to the playoffs. If we don't get to the playoffs, that's moot. But at the end of the season, but I think that's where he'll be in a week. Okay, okay. I, uh, I do think that's an interesting point you make about his about his uh, his repertoire. And really, when it comes down to it, his repertoire is not necessarily ideal for a closer. No. Uh, he's not somebody who can blow you away. And the thing he that doesn't I l- have a dominant out pitch. I mean, he, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of ground balls. Right. Except right. Except for right, then right. when he doesn't. Yeah. And when you think about it, a starter's repertoire is designed to minimize damage right. at any given time. Right. Uh, not to overpower. Um, 
that's one of the things that I think is really exciting about Tommy Hunter is that he can do what Jim Johnson is not able to do when he gets himself into trouble, which is just blow somebody away. I want us to stop and really just think about what we just said, though, because (laughs) Tommy Hunter is a dangerous, dangerous thing to put your hopes and faith in. I know he's been good recently, but uh-huh. he had a long period of time of being a very frustrating pitcher oh, to that watch. Was, that was back in the starting days. That was when they were on him to lose weight. It's this true. year, when they've just been like, Tommy, tuck in, buddy. <laughs> Eat what you want. So let's 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 play a game here in which Chris Davis does get the 62 home runs at the end of the year, and mm-hmm. Tommy Hunter is our closer into the playoffs. Okay making that trade the single greatest thing that the Baltimore Orioles have ever done. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, between... For a one-year rental of Koji, you get a uh, a Maris-level home run hitter and a starting closer. Lights-out closer. Uh, Between that and uh, what... Uh, the Chris Adam Tillman Jones, and Adam Chris Jones Tillman have done this Eric year. Bedard trade. Uh, you know, enjoy the playoffs, <laughs> Pirates. You're the ones that got plundered. <laughs> no, that was the Mariners. That was Seattle. Yeah, why did I say it was the Pirates? That's a good question. I think it's because Eric Bedard was pitching for the Pirates recently. Earlier. Yeah. Well, a Mariner could, in some circumstances, be a Pirate. That's a good point. Thank That's you. That's a good point. <laughs> Often mariners are plundered by pirates and occasionally by Orioles. <laughs> <laughs> so that works out nicely. Yes, that does that does come together well. I'm I'm glad we reached that point together. Uh one of the things that came up on the this is a bit of a tangent, but I want to get your thoughts on it. One of the things that came up in the Baltimore Sports Report postgame show, mm. which I had the pleasure of co hosting with Charlie uh from Oriole Spastics last night, um, is that uh he was talking about the young talent factor in the pennant race this year. Yes. Whereas last year, Manny Machado was obviously a huge difference maker for us. This year, you have Will Myers for the Rays and Xander Bogarts, who's been called up for Boston. Uh, And he was saying, what do you think um, is going to be the respective impact of each of those guys? And for me, I guess my feeling is uh, Will Myers is way scarier and has way bigger implications than Xander Bogarts. I think think Xander Bogarts is... um, I mean... I think that Manny was huge for us last year. I don't want to underplay him. He stabilized defensively a corner of our infield, which had been uh, more out of its depth than an albatross in a submarine. I mean, it was it was grim over there. Uh, but he did uh, he didn't really contribute offensively at like at nearly the level to say he's contributing this year. Um, he was good, not great, I would say offensively, uh, and I think that. Everyone looked at him there and said, this is an amazing contribution. Like, this is way beyond what anyone could have expected. I think your actual expectations, even for a definitive talent like Bogarts, is a good long cup of coffee, um, get a lot of reps in, be replacement level for his first year, and get his feet wet in a playoff chase. And that would be huge for – I mean, that would be exactly what the Red Sox wanted, right? That would be sort of the – beginning of trial by fire so they could open break camp with him next year as a starter yeah but i don't see him like really being the thing that propels the red Sox into the playoffs yeah that that's where i come down on it too is to me uh what you have with with will myers is somebody who has come up and even if he's going to be better than he already is which is terrifying to think about he's already conservatively a four-win player yeah uh and what he has done is allowed the rays who were able to keep it close 
in the months leading up to when they called him up to finalize uh, their attack on opposing teams and give them the one thing that they were missing, which was a consistent offensive threat behind Evan Longoria in the lineup. Right. Now that they have that, they have now taken uh, a they have they have achieved their fullest potential as a team currently, and you're seeing a team that is better than it was before he was called up to a measurable degree. I, I think that if we are to make it to the playoffs, we either play the A's or the Red Sox in a play on play in game. Really, I, I am way more terrified, especially coming off this last. Uh, I don't, I don't know. We should have won all three of the games <laughs> against the Rays. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I mean, we left how many people on base on Tuesday night? Thousands, thousands, scores, <laughs> scores, score many and more. Uh, but so maybe that's not entirely true. David Price did look mortal mm-hmm. against us and has all season really. Yeah. So you know maybe maybe I don't I don't. But I I think that Tampa Bay right now is slightly scarier than the Red Sox. And, I agree. And, and and I think Will Myers is the reason for that in a way that um, ha- must have Kansas City just being like slapping themselves in the forehead, man. Oh yeah, yeah. How are you gonna give that guy up? Yeah, well, and especially for 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 James Shields, who's probably gonna be who has been real good this year, probably gonna be real good next year, but eventually is gonna start to decline. Uh, right around the time Will Myers is taking his first legal drink. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, and every day. That kind of everyday player who you already knew was going to be good. I mean, I guess it is true that the Royals have done a lot of, okay, this is the prospect. Okay, this is the prospect. And at some point you want to just switch that out for someone who's good. But It's true. It's true. Uh, and I think, too, if you are the Royals, you look around and you're like, yeah, it's true. We lost Will Myers, but we do have Salvador Perez. We do have Eric Hosmer. We do have Billy Butler. We do have Mike Moustakis. Uh, that's going to be... That's going to be a very strong team in a very weak division for a while. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Moustakis has been diagnosably bad this year, though. Yes, I, I diagnose him with uh, overweight and bad at hitting. <laughs> <laughs> Itis. Akis. Akis. But um, I think in the competition to figure out who has the most delicious sounding last name, <laughs> near the top. Near the top. Near the top. Hmm. Also, I'd like to say that I think uh, Houston is going to win the American League West. I just want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, did, I, I obviously don't think that. But I did see an interesting article in my preparations uh, for this today, which is that there have been a lot of people kind of carping about um, how they feel like Oakland and Texas have been the beneficiary of having an anemic team added to their division and how that's allowed them to uh, have an unfair advantage this season. Hmm. Um, But the article was saying that there may be something there, but the real story about the American League West is the utter collapse of the Angels, not the presence of the Astros, which I think is apt. Apt. Fair. Um, I I think the Angels will uh, finish second in the American League West behind (laughs) the Astros. Uh, I think Jim Johnson... um, uh, Well, let's just say that I think this is what his students will write about him on their performance reviews. Um, <laughs> the the first two hours of uh, the seminar on John Maynard Keynes um, was, was, was uh, focused. It was sharp. It seemed oh, no. as though Professor Johnson was in firm control oh, no. of the concepts 
<laughs> in play. And then mysteriously, <laughs> right after we took uh, right after we took a fifteen minute break, uh, it's like he came back and it's like he was a different it's like he was a different professor. Oh no! And it was like he was just firing off sentences about uh, Milton Friedman, <laughs> all all willy nilly, and and uh, all of the promise that uh, we hoped for in the class just uh, just went right out the window. Mm. Um, and I was left thinking it's a good thing this is such an affordable class. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump right over to our interview with... Uh, Saltalovakia. Ooh, I, it, I would have to agree with you. It's going to be more of a, of a dish that you, you don't want all the time. But, right. But when you have a craving for it, it's going to be exactly what you were excited for. As seen on a handmade sign by a Red Sox fan at some point, probably, <laughs> saltilamakia is a dish best served cold. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's have a conversation with the man whose name we don't know, uh, Mr. O's Sunglass Guy on Twitter. I'm, I'm serious, folks. We're going to find out his name in real time with you on the phone. ladies and gentlemen we are very pleased to be on the line with the man known only as o's sunglass guy you have seen him you know who he is if you've ever watched an orioles home game on the mid-atlantic sports network he sits behind the orioles dugout he's got a smart tie on as we mentioned earlier it's got the backward cap and those downtown shades sir how are you this evening I'm doing very well. How are you? Oh, thank you for that wonderful introduction, by the way. Oh, uh, no, no problem. Thank you for being such a comforting sight night in and night out. <laughs> oh, thank, thank Well, not, not to everybody, apparently. So <laughs> so my first question to you before uh, I heard a snippet of your origin story before we started recording was going to be, um, uh, since you're uh, the closest thing we have uh, in Orioles fandom to a superhero. I was going to say, uh, are superheroes born or are they made? Uh, but after hearing the story of how you you burst onto the scene, I think we know the answer. <laughs> uh, well, yes, no, they're, they're, they're definitely made. Uh, like like uh, Spider-Man, I was bitten by radioactive sunglasses. <laughs> uh, um, and no, um, no, I mean, essentially, I mean, just the origin story of... Uh, of the Twitter account is just that, you know, I was, I was at the game Tuesday night and, uh, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, Casey Willett, uh, CD will 78, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mighty Casey. Um, he, um, he, he puts, he posted something about, uh, you know, that dude behind the Orioles dugout where, Hey, you're wearing the shades. It's 9 PM at night. Um, and then that started a whole line of tweets. Uh, a lot of people are like, uh, something, something hashtag still has no lady. <laughs> uh, so um you know so then that inspired me to get a twitter account and uh yeah i just i got one and then 108 168 followers later here we are man so this is a uh this is we're, we're getting to you 24 hours or so into your twitter presence uh 20 yeah about, about 24 hours 30 you know because i don't want to be boastful have you gotten <laughs> any hate tweets yet no that's the thing i was hoping i was gonna get some 
because that's all that's all it was on Tuesday was, was hate tweets. So that's <laughs> that's actually the first thing I did when I got a Twitter account is I just I responded to a lot of the a lot of the haters. Uh, Casey Willett, I said to him, I said, um, "Hey, I know it's 9 p.m. I gotta watch. Uh, when did you become a fashion critic?" <laughs> a fair question. Yeah, face, for, then, face uh, for radio then, over yeah, there. So I thought I'd get a lot more hate tweets. I was gonna re- I was gonna retweet them and comment to them, but no, everyone's just been really nice and welcoming so far. See, wow. you, See? you emanate such positivity. <laughs> So, so this is what I have to ask because you're, the revelation that this is how your identity on Twitter came to be has completely uh, flipped the script on my conception of things. Uh, because I've been seeing you sitting behind the dugout um, for all season long, practically. And I figured that when it turned out you had a Twitter account, I was like, oh, this is this guy's deal. He sits behind the dugout. He's got the shades. He's got the Twitter account. Um, but uh, it seems like you have just been... Uh, sitting behind the dugout in your tie with your shades, uh, not asking for any kind of fame, just doing it uh, because it's what needed to be done. Uh, wh- where did you, how did you get into the whole wearing the sunglasses at night vibe? Uh, well, really, uh, I guess that's a two-part question. The shades came about um, because I'm self-conscious about my eyes. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, um, good answer. And that's no joke, too. I, you know, I wear, um, you know, because you go to the game, you know, I wear shades, you know, and it's sunny out, you know, at 7.05, and then by the time it gets to 9, um, you know, I guess I just, one night I just forgot to take them off, and, and then somebody, uh, somebody, texted, uh, somebody texted my uncle and said, uh, hey, who's that, uh, who's that douchebag behind the... Wear the sunglasses, and I was like, oh, "Okay, well, all right, well, that just that just egged me on, and me wanted to do it, and then yep. I guess it became a thing. I'll be that douchebag." Um, <laughs> and then the tie was just—I I came from—I just came from work. I had to come right from work one day, and I had a tie on, and uh, and then once again a text from my uncle, same person, who's that douchebag in the shades and the tie? <laughs> but, okay. And then so I was like, oh, "Okay, well then, you know, I'll just." I'll keep doing that, and then I guess it just, you know, I guess it became a thing. Have you noticed any correlation between um, the tie and the sunglasses and Orioles wins, or has it been uh, essentially a, uh, a disconnected thing? Uh, no, yes. Um, I take uh, full responsibility for the Orioles' success. <laughs> okay, good, uh, good, um, good. And blame the team when they lose. <laughs> so uh, so I, I'm, I'm sort of loath to ask you your real name, uh, but I, I do, I do want to know what it is. It's uh, it is it is John. John, okay. So yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have a veil of mystery, hide behind a mask, um, make up some fake name. It is John. I'm on Facebook, you know, <laughs> of course, <laughs> somewhere. Of course, John is the perfect mild mannered alter ego name. So I, I don't believe this for a second. Yes, uh, John Wayne. <laughs> the perfect. Uh, <laughs> Is the perfect uh, cover. <laughs> um, so, so here's another thing uh, we'd like to do with you, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. w- the one of the gimmicks we're going with with this episode is actually uh, I'm going to be out of town next week, so we're not going to be able to record. So uh, we're going to try. We're trying to predict uh, how the Orioles are going to do over the next uh, six games. Um, so we have uh, we have prepared a, a five question quiz. So so and remember we we uh, we our standard is one hundred percent accuracy with our predictions. So uh, <laughs> and you guys are tough. Come oh, co- come right. correct. Um, so question one is uh, our record uh, tonight on the off night is sixty eight and fifty eight. Uh, in one week, what will our record be? Our record will be seventy one and sixty one. 
71 and 61. Okay. Okay. Well, it goes three and three, I think. You know, split. Maybe, uh, maybe win two or three against Oakland because we own them, and then we'll, uh, and then unfortunately, we'll probably lose, uh, probably lose two out of three to Boston. Yes, okay. we do not own the Red Sox. We do not own the Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Uh, how many games off the pace for the division title and wild card do you think will be? Uh, uh, I guess if we're going three and three uh, for the wild card. For the, the wild card, I would say probably maybe we'll be two, mm-hmm. two back, uh, and then the division. I think we'll still be pretty up there. I think we'll. I think it'll be. I think we'll. I think maybe we'll gain a half game. It'll be five. Okay. Okay. Uh, so so hanging tough in your in your estimation. It's going to be a grind, you know. As, if Tampa Bay taught us anything so far, that this that this the rest of the way is going to be a grind. Oh God, I'm so afraid. Alan, <laughs> Alan was just looking uh, before we got on the call with you at our schedule the rest of the way and discovered that we play the Red Sox nine times in the last five weeks of the season. It's funny you say that. I was just looking at the schedule before you guys called, and and, and the entire rest of the way we played. Uh, we only have ten games left against teams that are quote unquote not in it. Six against the Blue Jays, four against the White Sox. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think uh, Boston gets to play Colorado at least three times. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, not good. All right. How many home runs will Chris Davis have one week from today? Um, he will break Roger Maris's record by next week. <laughs> no. That's um, what I predicted as no. well. No, I think he'll get. Um, I think he'll. I think you know what? I think he'll hit. Uh, I think he'll have three. I think he'll get. I think he'll get one this weekend. I think he'll actually hit two in Fenway. Okay. Okay. All right, man. You're, you, you're you're totally in line with my predictions as well so far. I'm I'm I am not convinced you and Alan did not collude ahead of time on this. <laughs> Um, yes, he, he's sending me texts right now to all the uh, questions <laughs> you're going to ask me beforehand. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, uh, w- first I have a data point for you and then a follow-up question. The data point is that Houston's elimination number uh, is four. So any combination of Houston losses and Rangers wins results in them being eliminated. One week from today, will Houston still have a mathematical slot shot at the playoffs? Absolutely, they they fight they fight so hard. They're so scrappy. They've got Actually, so I much love heart. A lot, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's that's my next prediction. I, I'm uh, I'm predicting a Houston wild card victory this year. <laughs> to go to go with the Chris Davis 61 by this time next yes, week. Yes, exactly. <laughs> awesome. To make up 11 games in four games. <laughs> you uh, you make predictions like you burst onto the Twitter scene, sir. <laughs> Big and bold. <laughs> All right, and lastly, uh, one week from tonight, will Jim Johnson be A, the closer, B, the long man, or C, teaching economics at Hillsborough Community College in Tampa, Florida? <laughs> um, can I go D, the new mascot? Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Um, one of the things I love about that as an image is that I'm almost certain the uniform would be too small for him. <laughs> so, like, you'd see his, like, white flesh poking out. <laughs> It'd become an Oriole stork. Yeah. <laughs> it's an Oriole stork. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so, so we'll see one, uh, one week from today, how accurate you've been and, uh, we'll check in with you and see how many, how many hundreds more Twitter followers you have picked up. By the way, uh, as we like to tell everybody who comes on the show, uh, by joining us this evening, you have boarded what we call the Baltimoreans fame rocket ship. 
All right. So, uh, you know, get get ready for a serious bump in those Twitter followers. All right. So I'm going to go from 168 to 171 in the blink of an eye. Exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the magic. is It's, it's, it's that palpable. Yeah. Uh, uh, to use a loaded phrase, buckle up. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody out there should follow O's Sunglass Guy on Twitter uh, and, uh, and, and be comforted by the sight of him behind uh, the Orioles dugout during the rest of the home games, watching the team with a kind but critical eye. Sounds good to me. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. The home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. This is Sam Dingman, joining Alan Smith in saying thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to episode 64. We, uh, when you hear this episode, will probably have gotten quite a few things wrong. Um, not the least of which was my pronunciation of uh, Richard III's <laughs> winter of discontent speech from the, uh, I believe, Gloucester character. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you would like to tell us where our predictions went wrong, where my pronunciation went wrong, or anything else that we were doing incorrectly, we would love that. In particular, if there is a baseball player whose last name sounds like a more delicious food Mm. than Mike Moustakis or Jared Saltalamacchia. We need to know who that is. Yeah. So uh, hit us up at bemorons.com. There's a contact us link there. You can also tweet at us at bemorons. Um, you can email us at uh, baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com. You can call us 909-RIB-WARS. Uh, is there any other methods that we're accepting information these days, Sam? Um, carrier pigeon you can, by Raven? It, let, let, I'll say this. If you, um, if you are able to tell us a baseball player with a, more, with a last name that sounds like a more delicious food than Mike Moustakis or Jared Saltalamacchia in an email... Mm. To Baltimoreans Podcast at gmail.com. If if Alan and I agree that it sounds more delicious, I will email you back the address of Hootenanny Studios. <laughs> and then you can send us a letter. Thereby giving you another way of getting in touch with us. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what you'll put in that letter since we will have already had a pretty robust correspondence at that point. Hopefully nothing poisonous <laughs> or anthrax related. <laughs> you could send us... Uh, 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 a casserole dish filled with saltalamacchia, whatever that may be. Oh yeah, I was thinking more like it was like it's going to be like a stretchy toffee type thing, like a caramel based. Oh, that's interesting because to me, saltalamacchia savory all the way. Oh yeah, I mean like like but like sea salt and caramel, like a like a crunchy, salty, savory. Oh my! Well, that's you have you lots have a lot going on in my in my definition thereof. You have a James Franconian palate, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! <laughs> if anybody knows James Franco, by the way, and is able to convince him to come on the show... We'd love to talk to him. That would be a real good time. We would talk to him only about him, we promise. <laughs> uh, the uh, title of that episode would be James Franco. <laughs> no, really. James Franco. Speaking of titles, we play some music on this show, and I'd like to tell you what it is. <laughs> the intro music is by Mr. Marshall York. The interstitial music is the song Birdland by Weather Report and the outro music playing literally as I speak these words kicking my heart around by the Black Crows. Hey Sam. Yes. What would you uh, what would you call Henry Erudia if he were to go live with the Eskimos in a house made of ice? Oh, oh, give me one second. Just give me one second. Henry Igloo Rudia? 
Up top. All right. That was the only uh, that was the only entry from intern Scotty. <laughs> but he felt like it was an important one. Yes, he was not wrong. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. And good luck. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.